welcome to another episode of Devotional. This is Ariel, and we're in a series entitled, Jesus Reveals the Eight Paths to Happiness. This is episode 10. So, we meet again in the streets of Canton. Yes, I am walking with my little girl. Uh, hoping that she'll take a nap while I am doing this. If she gets rested and daddy gets exercise. A good exchange, I think. Uh, you may hear a little bit of crunchiness as I'm walking. That's because the leaves are starting to turn yellow. Fall is definitely here. And uh, the season, one of my favorite seasons, is beginning. I love it because of the change of colors. So anyways, let's pick up where we left off on the last time. We've been looking at the statement of Jesus of blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness or after justice because they shall be filled. And we know that this justice is not justice against enemies, other people. What we're looking is justice for ourselves. And the kind of justice we are seeking, thirsting, craving, hungering for is this justice needed, not justice deserved. And by now you know that what I have just defined is what we know as mercy. We need mercy from God. Mercy is when God gives us the justice we need, but not the justice we deserve. And the reason He can give that to us is because Jesus took our punishment. He took the justice we deserved so that we could receive the justice we needed, forgiveness. Forgiveness and mercy. And that was the spiritual baklava, remember? But that is when we experience the forgiveness of God, we begin to taste how good God is to us, how gentle, compassionate, and patient God is towards us. So we have a, let's see if I can cover a bit the mic from the wind. Um, we have this issue of now, what do we go from here, right? And we looked at the parable of a man that had been forgiven several million dollars by his boss and it didn't move him because as soon as he left the presence of the king he started beating up a friend of his, a colleague of his that only owed him just a little bit he owed him ten dollars and he demanded that he pay up well, God doesn't want us to receive this forgiveness without it changing us and so the very next beatitude or the very next path to happiness is not simply to say, man, God cleared my debt. I am forgiven. Yes, that makes us happy. But that happiness begins to penetrate the fibers of who we are and it begins to change us. It begins to change who we are. Forgiveness changes us, especially the forgiveness we forgive, we receive from God. The mercy, the justice, uh, needed, not deserved. How does it change us? Well, the very next beatitude says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What we receive is what we are being asked to give. What you and I have received really from God becomes the invitation for us to continue extending it to other people. And that parable that Jesus gave to Peter that he should not be counting how many times he forgave the people that offend him. Rather, he should stop counting and simply offer freely what he has received. 
this these beatitudes are, are transitional they're they're you cannot have one without the other and so what we we receive from god i like to look at it this way it's perspective god gives us a perspective that enables us to forgive other people no matter what they have done to us when jesus gave the parable of the individual that squandered all that money all that king's money money that was not his he just blew it he was not careful with it he was not judicious with it jesus intentionally picked a number that would be so astronomical so huge the people when they would hear that someone could possibly hold this much money would be staggered to think wow how in the world could he have ever owned him that much well jesus had a reason for that being the way it was for, for choosing that large amount of money it was so that we could get perspective when you and i feel that what others have done to us is too difficult too how could i say this too impossible to forgive and there are things that we feel simply are, are that certainly god does not expect me to forgive my parents or certainly god does not expect me to forgive my spouse or anyone else my friend co-worker my boss my employees someone that has tarnished our reputation certainly there are certain things that cannot be forgiven should not be forgiven you may be thinking wow who would ever think that there are things that should not be forgiven and there are and this is a very sensitive issue one of the examples that I ran across when I was in seminary were books relating to forgiveness and the Holocaust. And I know that, you know, there's tremendous emotional hurt and wounds that have come from that horrific event. So by no means does forgiveness justify evil, but I think forgiveness allows for the victims to experience life and happiness again. Some of the books that I read were written by ethicists who said, you know, the Christian notion of forgiveness or as Jesus would teach unconditional forgiveness is not a healthy way of doing life. Our society needs to be firm in not extending forgiveness to people because there are certain circumstances that just are unforgivable. Now, that's the challenge we have from our perspective when we look at what other humans can do to us we may feel justified in coming to the conclusion that there are just some things we should not forgive it's not whether we can or not we shouldn't even try to forgive those things because they are unforgivable now a couple of days ago I was reading an article about a lady that had been released from jail she had been sentenced to 50 years in jail um, at the age of 14, she, well, she, got, she had suffered a lot of abuse in her home. And as sometimes it happens in low-income abusive homes and this kind of neighborhood that I grew up in, and I saw this, I would see this happen with some of my classmates. This young lady at the age of 14 got pregnant. And she gave birth to a boy that had um, a physical uh, handicaps, limitations and some mental cognitive um, also disabilities so at 14 she was found not just with a baby 
but with a baby that just demanded so much from her and she had, did not have the social support to endure the demands that this baby this, this precious little creature brought upon her so one day she said at the, the police record that um, after a few years of that boy being alive she ended up beating him up so severely and just leaving him that the baby died she killed her own child she couldn't take it anymore and of course she was imprisoned and sentenced to 50 years in jail now in jail she, she began to recognize that she had a choice either she will come out of that place worse than when she came in or she would take advantage of some of the opportunities that even in jail was, were being afforded to her, in, in, namely an education. She chose education. So she began to take classes, college courses. I mean, she got her GED, of course, and went on to college and began to take um, some serious college courses and she began to take her studies very seriously. All of this was no noticed by the, the warden, the parole officers, everybody involved with her. They began to notice that there was a change in her life and that, well, maybe she should be reconsidered um, in regards to her sentence. And sure enough, they, they brought her case up to be looked at, be considered again. And the judge deemed that she had reformed. Um, after 20 plus years, two decades of being in a correctional institution, she was deemed safe to be released into society. So immediately upon her coming out, she applied to college. She applied for um, Oxford. Out of all the universities that um, she wanted to attend, she applied to Oxford. So at Oxford, of course, they, they love this, you know, great PR. Someone coming out of jail, you know, gets her life together and she's here. But when they began to investigate, someone brought to their attention the background of this lady Oxford withdrew her acceptance letter and when people began to ask you know they, they began to investigate as to the reason why Oxford accepted and then uh, resigned it on this acceptance they, they basically said that there are some things people do that the consequences should never leave they should they should never be removed and what she did was so horrific she needs to think about this for the rest of her life. She needs to carry this burden for the rest of her life. Society should not forgive her. I was blown away by how cruel we are towards one another. Because I am certain that the people writing that letter and giving the reasons to reporters asking why you are doing this they themselves have been the recipient of forgiveness that surpasses what maybe in their estimation they have received. And that's why Jesus gave this parable for perspective. What God is asking you and I to do, to forgive unconditionally, needs the perspective of heaven. We need the divine perspective when relating to other human beings. These individuals that are merciful are not merciful because they are nice. They are merciful because they have been satisfied with the justice, with the righteousness of God, a justice 
that was certainly needed but never could have been deserved. They could have never earned the forgiveness that God freely gave them. And needless to say, this young lady did not get deterred by this denial of Oxford. And when I come back, I'll tell you how that story ends. But you know where we're gonna go, we're gonna go by now. We're gonna look at a special verse from the Bible. So, Jesus knows how much of a challenge forgiveness can be for us sometimes. We enjoy it, we love to eat baklava, but we certainly have a difficult time extending that delicious um, experience to others, at least the way God gives it to us. So Jesus, um, in one of the times where he, he is gave instructions directly due to a request from his disciples. His disciples were saying to Jesus, actually they heard him pray and they were so impressed by the sincerity, the transparency uh, of his prayers to God the Father that they approached Jesus and said to him, teach us to pray. So Jesus gave what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. You may have heard of this, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, the, the, the rest of it, uh, most people may not know this, but you, Jesus didn't give us so that we could repeat verbatim. It's a template. It's a blueprint of how prayer should be directed to God, how we should view um, how God hears us, and what the content, the substance of our prayers should consist of. And the beginning of it begins with, with exalting God's name, um, that His name will be made holy, you know, hallowed be your name, or may your name be declared to be holy, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then there's this transition point when we begin with a relationship with God, and then Jesus masterfully crosses over from a divine human relationship to human-human relationship. And the, the language of Jesus is, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, it would some people would say, well, see, there you go. God expects us to forgive so that he can forgive us. Well, if Jesus is placing into our thoughts a process that has already begun. The reason we know what forgiveness tastes like is because we have tasted it ourselves. You will never be able to truly forgive someone until you yourself know what forgiveness feels like, smells like. I mean, if, if you've had, you know, a tiramisu, you don't know what baklava tastes like. If you've had a Tootsie Roll, you may not, you will never know what a baklava tastes like. You will only know what baklava tastes like when you have tasted baklava. And so how do you know you know what forgiveness looks like? How do you know what forgiveness tastes like? You will know when you have tasted it yourselves. And when you and I taste the forgiveness the way God gives it to us, it gives us a profound perspective in life. And we begin to realize more and more that what we have is a tremendous debt that was freely forgiven to us that would never, we could never, pay 
And yet what we can do to each other as humans is doesn't compare in measure, in extent, in impact to what God has forgiven you and I. This forgiveness is what gives our lives perspective in regards to forgiveness, in regards to mercy. So what Jesus is saying, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it's a process, a, a momentum that has been initiated by God in your life and mine. We are now able to be willing to forgive others because we have initially experienced the forgiveness from God. That's why Jesus in the prayer begins with, Lord, let me experience your forgiveness, that in experiencing your forgiveness, I may be able to extend it to those that don't deserve my forgiveness. Let me experience that today. God invites you to experience His forgiveness, and there you will find the power to forgive those that right now you may feel you should not forgive. So, this lady gets a letter saying, sorry, we, we did accept you, but really, we can't take you in. Uh, we have reviewed, we did not realize what you have done, and now that we see that, that your record is so dark, your past, your behavior is so deplorable, we, we cannot have someone like you, even though you clearly show you have changed your ways, you have changed your... Sorry about that, technical <laughs> difficulties. Um, you have changed who you are. Um, that might be nice, but it's not sufficient. And we don't want to tarnish our university's reputation with someone like you. Carry your burden for the rest of your life. Well, she took that letter and then she applied to New York University and they accepted her. And for her, being accepted into this college no longer meant just I'm, I'm going on into life look at how my life has turned around but she is beginning to experience forgiveness from society she's beginning to experience redemption from her dark past and that's baklava we all have that area of darkness and shame in our past and the more we live our lives on earth without god the more of those experiences we will have no matter how much we try to gloss and polish our outside, our present, um, if we have not resolved those things in the past, that we have not received the forgiveness, the, the, the justice needed, not deserved, and if we do not know that we have been forgiven, it haunts us. When I was a nurse, I would see um, the, the family of my patients, some of them, especially when I worked in um, long-term care, in nursing homes, I would see the struggle that the children would go through when dad would all of a sudden pass away and there had been no closure to past wounds. Sons that had refused to apologize to dad. Sons that had decided to cling to their pride. Children that had refused to say those words, I forgive you dad, or, I forgive you mom, I know you're human. You make mistakes like me, and I still love you. Those words were never heard 
by that parent. And because there was no reconciliation, no redemption of that past, those things gnaw at us. They become like small rocks in the shoes and the boots of our lives. And though as small as they are, they can create some tremendous wounds that cripple us, that gives, makes us to be emotionally stuck. Even though things may have happened long ago, we are still reliving those things. Forgiveness is so powerful. It's, it's not just something that we experienced long ago and move on. Forgiveness is something that touches our lives every day. We can experience fresh air in our lives every day as we remind ourselves that we have been forgiven. There's a song that I heard recently a couple of months ago and it became one of my favorites. It's by an artist named Mandisa. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name correctly. But the song is entitled, That's What Scars Are For. That is what scars are for. And one of the stanzas says that, you know, we have these scars in our lives. And these scars, when we've experienced forgiveness, it's a wound. It's a wound that we have. But when we experience forgiveness, that wound heals. And we say, you know, forgive and forget, but that's not realistic. And sometimes because of these unrealistic expectations, we feel that we, we have to forget what people have done to us uh, or, or what we have done to others. It works both ways. Forgiveness affects both the people that have done the wrong and the people that have been wronged. And so in this song, the imagery is presented of a wound that had been healed and the scars are still visibly there. And the stanza says that these scars remind me of where I've been, but that I am not there anymore. I love that part. It just touched me so powerfully because I do have scars. I do have memories of things I have done. I do have areas of my life that are still impacted by things that others have done to me. Those scars do not need to weigh me down. And whereas before they may have reminded me of pain and shame and darkness, that song changes the meaning of scars when the wounds have healed. To remind us that's where you used to be but you're not there anymore the grace of God the justice of God the mercy of God is carrying us to areas and places we never thought possible in our experience inward in our emotional in our thought life and of course in our behavior our choices our values to me that is very precious how Jesus knows the true paths to happiness and at, at the crux of this is this transition point where it's not just us receiving from God and seeking from God what we need the most, but allowing the fullness of His mercy to affect us in such a way that we do not justify ourselves, that there are things people can do to me that it's not just that I cannot forgive, but I should not forgive. My friend, Whatever may have happened to you, whatever may have happened to your, in your past, the path that Jesus presents before you is one in which forgiveness sets you free, sets your heart at peace, and begins to heal those wounds. Those wounds can become scars, and those scars will remind you for the rest of your life. You used to be there, but today, 
you're not there anymore. Praise God.